firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. The Lord uh, says, uh, do not lay up or store up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and woodworms destroy them and thieves can break in and steal. But store up treasures for yourselves in heaven where neither moth nor woodworms destroy them and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. It follows that if your eye is sound, your whole body will be filled with light. If your eye is sound, your whole body, the eye is the, is the window of the soul. It's not just the physical eye, it's the window of the soul, the conscience. But if your eye is diseased, your whole body will be all in darkness. If then the light inside you is darkness, what darkness that will be. These are important principles that the Lord addresses to his apostles. And he begins by saying not to store up treasures for ourselves on earth. Man's heart yearns for treasures. We all yearn for some kind of treasures which will give us some kind of security, some kind of happiness. But in the end, every earthly treasure that we might store up, even at great expense, whether it's wealth, whether it's property, whether whether it's some kind of physical, material well-being, can often simply become a source of worry because the risk we have of losing it or because of the effort we have to put into uh, protecting it can cause such strain. So we're afraid of losing it. We're, we need to protect it. So... The Lord says, don't lay up treasures in your heart. Treasures that in the end, anyway, won't survive. People put a, an enormous amount of effort into these really passing treasures. Treasures that won't even really satisfy. They satisfy a little bit. Earthly goods do satisfy, and indeed, they are means, they are good means. But really we understand, maybe we understand it theoretically, maybe we've experienced it, that material goods, wealth, property, recognition, prestige, all these things, prosperity, those things don't really truly satisfy. They might seem to satisfy, but why don't they satisfy? Well, essentially because we are made for God. Our heart is made for you. 
like that most famous of phrases of St. Augustine. He said, our hearts were made for you, O Lord, and they are restless until they rest in you. Do I realize that my heart is really made for you, Lord? And maybe I have forgotten that truth. It takes great saints like St. Augustine to remind us that our heart is made for God. And though we enjoy many material goods, the, that heart that really desires to love will not be satisfied by those, those other goods. They're goods, but they're not definitive. Whether they are recognition, whether they are prosperity, whether they are wealth, property, That quote of St. Augustine's from his, from his confessions, really at the beginning of his book, where he says in a, in a hymn of praise to God, he says, Great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense. And your wisdom beyond reckoning. reckoning. And so we men, who are a due part of your creation, long to praise you. We men are part of your creation. We want to praise you. We also carry our mortality about with us, carry the evidence of our sin, and with it the proof that you thwart the proud. You arouse us so that praising you may bring us joy. See, praising you will bring us joy. Because you have made us and drawn us to yourself, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. It's the beautiful opening prayer to his confessions. And it does give us great joy, indeed, great satisfaction to praise the Lord uh, to, and to pray. We can ask in the presence of God, well, what is my greatest treasure? What do I most value? What do I most cherish? What would I grab if, if the house was on fire? What would I grab with me, you know, endangering myself? There is a kind of, uh, <clears throat> I heard about this, that there's a kind of a rule in North Korea they, they, they have such a idolize, they idolize so much the great leader, King Jong-il, that they say that if there's a fire in the house, before grabbing the children, they should grab the portrait of King Jong-il so that it doesn't get burnt. And indeed, people do that. They grab the portrait and take it outside, lest it be burnt. That, for them, is their treasure. Obviously, they've been brainwashed to think that a a portrait of their leader, their what they call their great leader, is more important than their own children. I mean, I don't know to what extent that is actually true, but uh, but we can ask ourselves, what would I grab? We may be indeed pursuing treasures that are good, but maybe upon pursuing those treasures, we could indeed lose focus. We could be overly fascinated and obsessed with roads, with things that really don't ultimately lead to God. 
They don't truly lead to God. Especially if we lack rectitude of intention. If we don't do things out of love for God. Perhaps you know that story about Captain Robert Ballard, who was the head of an American-French expedition on board the U.S. Navy research ship, the Nore, in 1985, August 1985. And uh, his expedition was part of a secret operation by the U.S. Army to recover old U.S. submarines that had sunk in the Atlantic. And it was a very top secret mission. They had to find these before the Russians did. And they had special remote controlled uh, submarines that would scan the ocean floor and they would try to find debris or debris or, you know, signs or traces of these submarines. And they only had a very short window of time to be able to do it. And so they started to do that. Indeed, they did discover these two these two submarines, I, I think they were from the Second World War or something, but, um, but then once they discovered them and they put in his report, they, they did a study of them, how they had gone down and they protected them, and, but they still had time left over and he was with his entire crew and he decided that, well, he realized that they were in an area where the Titanic might have sunk and uh, this was before the, the Titanic was uh, discovered so he decided to scan the bottom with these remote um, these remote subs and they knew that that a sunken ship leaves debris for at least a mile around it right so it goes down and then leaves debris a whole trail on the ocean floor and so they would scan the ocean floor with these special cameras this this sub would go down and they would be all be watching it on these special monitors inside the ship and suddenly as they were going down they were saying well we're not sure if it's here but suddenly they saw a piece of a boiler then a number of shoes and pieces of furniture that clearly came from the Titanic and especially when they saw the shoes everybody said this is it and there was an explosion of joy that they'd found the Titanic. I mean, up until there, nobody had found the Titanic. I mean, it was the first time anybody had laid on, laid eyes on the Titanic since it sunk on April 15th, 1912. So it was a huge discovery. And they were, they were rejoicing and happy. It was huge. But suddenly the captains said, okay, let us stop right now all this celebration. Though this might seem like a treasure for us, it's actually a graveyard. A tragedy took place here on April 15, 1912. Thousands of souls died and they merit now a moment of silence. And they stopped. They stopped celebrating. They stopped the champagne and they prayed. Everybody, you know, according to what, what faith they had. And they gave those souls that silence. It's as though 
this was a treasure for them, but now, thanks to that that captain, Robert Ballard, they, they redirected their, their focus. They had lost focus for a few minutes at least. For some it was a, a treasure that could provide prestige, but to those who were looking at this with a sound eye, it was a place to pray for those lost souls. And they say that, of course, the ocean had already eaten up all the bones, all the human remains, all that was left was shoes and things like that. But the actual human remains were no longer there. They were, since 1912, they had been, you know, had disappeared. And so Jesus himself, too, teaches us that our true treasure here on earth is not discovering the Titanic, discovering this or that great thing, but lies in good works, lies in an upright life, a moral life, which will, we know, be eternally rewarded by God in heaven. That, that is indeed a treasure which one never loses, the treasure of heaven, the treasure on which Christ's disciples should put his heart in, the treasure of heaven. That's what we should put our heart in. That's what we should put all our desires in. And uh, this is why Jesus closes the teaching contained in these verses. He, he's not saying that people should be unconcerned about earthly things, even, well, you could say even earthly treasures. It was good that they, that they discovered the Titanic but what he does say is that no created, quote, treasure can be the ultimate aim of man. Nothing created can be our ultimate, ultimate aim. Nothing created. No, no praise, no prestige, no, not even health. What we do have to do is make our way to God sanctify ourselves and give all glory to God. That's our, de that's our definitive treasure, to give all glory to God. Always making right use of the noble things of the earth. And we can make, we can make good use of these things. St. Paul said, whatever you eat, whether you eat rather, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Deo omnis gloria. Deo omnis gloria. That was the coat of arms that that uh, our bishop, uh, Bishop Javier Echeverria, Bishop Prelate Volpuste, used in his coat of arms. Deo omnis gloria. He wanted, he wanted everything to be for the glory of God. And, uh, but for us to do that, we have to see things with a sound eye, as our Lord said. Otherwise, everything inside can be done for human reasons, human pretense. In other words, not with a clean eye. And uh, to do things with a clean eye, well, it also means to do things with sound criteria, sound conscience. St. Josemaria mentions this in the very introduction to the way in which he gives a few lines, a kind of uh, uh, invitation to the reader 
in, in terms of how the reader should take these counsels. As you know, the way is a, it's a series of short aphorisms that you can read. But what is the purpose of reading the way? What, why are you doing this? What, what's the purpose? Same thing, I suppose, with Furrow and, and Forge. These are all short little aphorisms. You read one or, one or two lines, and, or maybe a paragraph. And so in the introduction, which I think he wrote in 1936 or so, he said, uh, read these counsels slowly. Pause to meditate their meaning. There are things that I whisper in your ear as a friend, as a brother, as a father. We shall speak intimately and God will be listening to us. I'm going to tell you nothing new. I shall only stir your memory so that some thought may arise and strike you. And so your life will improve and you will set out along the way of prayer and of love. And in the end, you'll become a soul of worth. You'll become a soul of worth. What does that mean? It's um, hard to translate that phrase. Um, a soul of worth. In Spanish it says, Yacabas por ser alma de criterio. Soul of worth, alma de criterio. Soul of criteria, I suppose. That it sounds quite different. That phrase was added in the Burgos edition, and meaning that he was, he was directing this book, these little aphorisms, to those who had already received a basic catechesis, they didn't need a basic instruction on the meaning of the faith, they already knew basically their catechism, but that they should become a soul of criteria or soul of worth. This expression, alma de criterio, is, um, is what they call a hapax legamenon. You know what a hapax legamenon is? It's a Greek expression. And hapax legamenon means an expression that is only used once in all the writings of an author. Hapax legamenon. So alma de criterio is used only there in the way. And, and it kind of provides as the opening for the rest of the book, meaning your judgments are judgments of real worthiness, of proper criteria. It renders you truly free, not caught up in the motions, not, not in a situation where you don't know what to do, something happens, somebody says something, uh, an event happens, and you don't know, I don't know what to do here, I don't know what to do. I, and, uh, you know, like a, it's funny, a girl, the other day I was looking at a video of the visit of the prelate of Opus Dei to Saragossa, and uh, a young, a young university student asked a, uh, asked the prelate a question. She, uh, she, she asked about Instagram. She said that uh, I, I very often go on, uh, you know, outings with my friends, and that, or we go and have supper somewhere, and we take quite a few pictures, maybe thirty or forty pictures, and then I look at them on my phone, and then I delete some. 
and uh, most of them I delete, but I keep three or four, and then, or I keep five, and then I take two and I post them on Instagram. And then I scroll and I see the comments that people make, and then I make comments, and, uh, and then I realize before I know it um, that I've spent the whole morning posting on Instagram, you know, that uh, it can suck up all my time. And so, you know, he was, he was listening very carefully. He clearly knew what she was, uh, you know, expressing there. So he said, well, I mean, he, she was asking about how to use time better and not get caught up in Instagram. So he said, uh, well, okay, make, make a plan. It's true, these things, internet, Instagram, YouTube, all these things can make us waste a lot of time. So he said... Um, so maybe you can look at Instagram once a week. And then there was this grumbling in the crowd, right? Uh, uh, he clearly picked up on that. And he says, uh, maybe you can look at it once a day. Right? And then there was still some grumbling, but, um, but he let it go at that. Maybe, you know, I mean, people understood. Everybody has to see. Maybe it's only once in the afternoon or morning or whatever, you know. Uh, and he, he emphasized making a plan, having goals, emphasize your relations with others. And uh, he's basically helping her not to get drawn into the Instagram, Instagramization of her life. So that she could have greater freedom, greater criteria, a certain elegance in the use of her time, natural strength a kind of equilibrium and balance, a certain confidence in her, vo in her conversations with others. Because in the end, if, if our main confidence and our main abilities is in how we post and how, we, how well we do in, in, in the social media world, inevitably other areas are going to begin to suffer. And those who have, quote, have criteria they have a firm reference point and act as Christians should in various situations in life. They can act, they can act, they know what to do. I mean, they may lack confidence sometimes, but they begin to develop criteria in which they can recognize what is the true thing, what is the right thing for me to do here. That's what he, I think that's what he means when he says that you become a soul of sound judgment. Meaning, you become someone who's able to discern, secure in faith, you're generous in charity, you're empowered by love for the truth, a willingness to serve always, to offer those around you a real dialogue, an ability to listen. And that uh, criteria that criteria that he talks about enables you to reach much more, to be much freer. And as you probably know, criteria comes from the Greek, krinio. Krinio means to separate or to sift, to separate the, the grain or the wheat from the, from the chaff, distinguish what is good here, flee from the bad. That's what it is to have a soul, to be a soul of criteria, to have sound inner judgment, and an inner life. That's, I think, in part, what we can look at when our Lord says, you know, don't, 
don't store up treasures on earth, right? Uh, store up a real, a real treasure for yourself. That is to have, or as he says, a lamp of the body is the eye, and, and, and you have to have a sound eye, and that is, that is a good formation that will ha help us to always act for the love of God, and a true criteria. So let's ask this of our Blessed Mother. She'll guide us in this. Uh, she is our hope seat of wisdom. She's also our hope handmaid of the Lord. She will guide us so that we become truly souls of, of sound judgment of criteria. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.